0: Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program exploring all the high-stakes speed bumps and off-ramps of driving to the top of your market with our host, Chris Beal from Connect and Sell and Corey Frank from Branch 49. When you go to a doctor, you want that doctor to be excellent or okay. Elena Hess, our Market Dominance Guy's guest and Vice President of Operations at Thomson Reuters Tax and Accounting Professionals, poses this question to our podcast host Corey Frank and Chris Beal. Their answer, and yours too, no doubt, is that they want doctors who love their job and do it extremely well. Elena, Chris, and Corey talk about how this equates to the role of the salesperson. In the old days, sales was generally a hit and run affair. You'd probably never see your customers again once a sale was made, so there was little reason to provide true value in a product or to develop and maintain a relationship with a customer. But in the modern world, most of us want to sell our customers an upgrade or an add-on or a renewal. So product value and excellent customer relations are essential. In other words, if you want to be successful in sales today, our three sales experts say that it's crucial to have skin in the game. Oh yeah, it's self-examination time. Evaluate your personal investment in your job as you listen to today's Market Dominance Guys episode, Do You Have Skin in the Game?
1: Andy Paul just released a new book, which I think is the best sales book I've seen in forever. And he has these four pillars of sales. And his first one is Connection. And then the second one is curiosity. So connect, then be curious. Mm-hmm. And then don't just be idly curious, but take your curiosity all the way to understanding. Oh, so I love that. Understand love that. this person. And then there's the fourth pillar, I think is the shocking drop the mic pillar that fits so perfectly with what you said, which is, and then your final pillar is generosity. Mm -hmm. Once you understand you're in a position to be generous, so do
2: it. Yes. Have you read the book from Adam Grant, Givers and Takers?
1: I have not, but I will this weekend.
2: (laughs) It's a a great book. And it actually made me really think about what I do as well, because I don't consider myself a taker. I would say I'm not there. There's actually three givers, takers, and then matchers, I think was the other one where you're like tit for tat, like I'll give you if you give me back. I'm looking for matching, right? And I actually think that I did that too much. And I think that happens in sales, right? You give me dollars, I give you product. There's this exchange of value that we both agree means something. But if you're a giver, like literally, then you're going to find ways to continuously try to Serve your clients, serve your family, serve your kids, serve your colleagues and go above and beyond because you just want to. You're not looking for that tit for tat. That's success in my book, because when that happens and if everyone does that, we all win.
1: I think in modern sales, there's some there's an interesting situation, too. So there's a phrase out there that was popularized by somebody. Software is eating the world. And what that really means is we don't have a lot of things to sell anymore, that just sit there and do a job. They integrate with other stuff. They have to work with other stuff. They mm-hmm. go in. They become part of your organization. And almost everything interesting that is sold now is "quote unquote" software in the sense that it becomes part of somebody else's system. It doesn't yeah. stand. It doesn't stand alone. We don't sell that many doorstops, and even a doorstop's got to work with a door. You've got to yeah. know that they yeah. work together. So it's so interesting when you think about this give take thing. The value used to be in sales, look, I sell you something and then we never meet again. That was actually the value. And sales developed, I believe, at the crossroads where here you're on the Silk Road somewhere and you've got some source of goods. A river goes by so you can get stuff there. So now you have traders. Well, the distinction is the buyers are all gone once the transaction's gone, right? And it's the sellers who remain never to see the buyer again. So transaction-based selling was the original kind of selling. And it's because who cares, right? So what you took my worst coffee beans, which I scooped off the top where I put the bad beans and the good ones were down deeper, but I sampled the good ones for you before you left. And you're a sucker and away you go, right? P.T. Barnes yeah. suckers born every day. Now we don't sell things like that. No. And so since we don't sell things that are like that anymore, I don't think we should sell like that at all. And that give take thing is transactional. That says we're never going to meet again. That says I'm happy. As soon as you have my product, I have your money and we're out of here. And I don't think we're out of here anymore.
2: No, we're not only not out of here. Not only do we see if we're lucky, our customers again, because we have more to potentially sell them, but they're writing reviews on how that went. (laughs) So We have skin in this game that goes beyond the sale. I have my reputation. I have my inner satisfaction that I'm actually doing a good job. That matters to me. I don't want to be seen as a shuckster or anything even close to I think most people don't. So, yeah, we're humans, right? Everyone wants to feel good about what they buy, what they sell. At least I do. And I want to work with people like that. I was in a class once in college, a logic class, and my teacher said something that really it still resonates to me to this day. And he asked us, what do we want to be? Do we want to be doctors or lawyers? You know, people are raising their hands for different things. It's like, so whatever you want to be, let me ask you this. When you do go to a doctor, do you want your doctor to be excellent or okay? The position that you have does not dictate the excellence you should be striving for. And I don't want, I want to work with people that love their jobs and do it very well. I want to in, in interchange with that and I'll pay more to work with someone who I could tell authentically really loves what they do. And if, if that's true, I want that from my maintenance guy. I want that from the cook, right? I don't want a bad cook. You want to go to that fancy restaurant you just talked about and you find out the person behind the sous chef line is hating their job. What are you going to get? Yeah. You no, know, so. To me, it comes down to we all have to kind of strive, I think, for the excellence of what we can deliver in whatever role we have, because that is where you get the payoff intrinsically, intangibly from people, from yourself, because, you know, you did your best and you're constantly learning.
1: I love that you use the word love. So right at this moment, Corey, you'll be amused by this. Helen, my fiance, Helen Fennucci is over in a room right over there. The Fetching Miss Finucci. that's fetching right. Fetching Miss Fennucci. And <laughs> huh? she, is, uh, she is doing a keynote, and the keynote is called Love Your Team. And she's writing a book called Love Your Team, a survival guide for sales managers in a hybrid world. And it's not a fluffy love your team. I mean, she's an MIT-trained mechanical engineer. She's, so she's uh, not
2: fluffy? Is that she's what you're not saying?
1: Fluffy. <laughs> Let me just say, you two, you want that whole ace thing in one package, you got it, and then you light it on fire, and then you got it some more. You know, you <laughs> So yeah, no fluffiness. But her point is simple, which is now here we are in a world where our top salespeople, those ones you were just describing, the ones we really want to work with, well, everybody else wants to work with them too. Yeah, and they right. can walk out the door without taking a single step. Yep. Now the question is, can we apply that? love that we need to bring for our customers, can we bring that to our team? Because if we don't, our top talent is going to go work for somebody who does. It's The transactional cookie has crumbled. Yeah, And we're no longer in a world of transaction. We're now actually in a world, this will sound weird to people, but we're in a world where the economics have become essentially the economics of love if you're not capable of paying attention to and caring about somebody else, you won't even have people on your team, much less have them bringing people that trust them and love them, their customers, and vice versa. This pancake has flipped and it is sizzling on the other side right now. And I don't think most people get it.
2: Yeah, it's, you know, love, passion, excellence begets love, passion, excellence. If you're going to have a team that's transactional, if your relationships you're not going to get them to be relationships in their transactions. You have to be consistent on both sides, if you will. And yeah, we're all feeling it. And then don't add the acceleration to work from home and the economics of the labor force, I don't know where everybody is, but they're not necessarily working right now. It's hard. And that has flipped as well. Hopefully, again, I'm a balanced person. Like, Let's find some joy in the middle and get hybrid in almost all of these situations where we can get the best out of both things. Because either extreme swing is problematic. And we've just gone through a couple of big extremes. We've gone through lots of extremes.
3: Well,
1: Corey, other? you have thoughts. Give us your thoughts, man. Well,
3: I have questions. I always have questions I'm with to the smart people, the wicked smart people here. So I'm going to continue to write my notes as I stuck the marrow out of this conversation. So when you the, the curiosity thing. There's a movie talked about a couple of times called Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Have you no, seen that know. one, Elena? So no. Chris is a, obviously a, a very foodie, a as is the fetching <laughs> Miss Panucci. And so Jiro Dreams of Sushi, it's a great movie to show to any new team. And it has nothing to do with sushi. It has everything to do with, Elena, what you were just describing about curiosity and uncovering those layers of curiosity to get to that commitment as a craftsman. And so it's about a sushi place in the Ginza subway station in Tokyo. Now there is, I don't know what it is, Chris, you know better than I, 30 Michelin three-star restaurant in the world. And this is the only sushi restaurant that is three-star Michelin rated. And it is such a simple but yet elegant, the Japanese style, that it is doesn't even have a restroom attached to the restaurant, it is in the basement of the busy, bustling Ginza subway station. As you go from a gift shop to the train and you pass it, and it is only has I believe it was Chris
1: nine seats, I think it is right. I've been there nine seats, nine seats, oh, wow. and it
3: is run now. It's run by his son, but this is about 10 years ago. This documentary and Juro was in the in the documentary, probably about 80 something years old. and. What he would do was institute a craftsman-like duty that you are obliged for the world, for your craft, for your fellow man, for the right, for the honor of it, to have the best duty, the best rice, the best shrimp, the best experience at all. And there was a reciprocal effect. They would interview the tuna broker in the fish market they would interview the strip broker. They would interview the rice broker. A consistent <laughs> interview after consistent interview. It was, you know, I saved the best stuff for Jiro because he appreciates it.
0: We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Connect and Sell. Welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Connect and Sell's patented technology loads your best sales folks up with 8 to 10 times more live, qualified conversations every day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing what kind of cheese they like on their Impossible Whopper kind of qualified. Learn more at connectandsell.com. And we're back with Corey and Chris.
3: And there's this trickle-down effect that Jiro created this this community that can like ecosystem around ecosystem around just his commitment. So uh, Chris, right. That's, there's a lot of parallels between what Elena is saying versus something like that. Correct.
1: Yeah. I mean, excellence and curiosity feed on each other. And it's one of the things about Jero is <laughs> just curious as all get out, yeah. right. Yeah. Ask these deep, deep questions, Kept, you know, kept trying to figure things out and that uh, that attitude, Oh my goodness. You know, That's cool. There's the interns.
3: The interns that work in the hallway. Elena of this. People are walking by, and this intern is trying to perfect. I think it was three years trying to perfect a perfect egg souffle. And when he finally got it, and Jiro gave him the nodding affirmation, "You did it," he said he cried. Oh. And right at the outset of this this conversation we've had, right, what did Chris say? I mean, Chris was getting emotional because somebody got it. Your team got it. You turned it from a library into what an egg souffle equivalent on the Thomson Reuters floor should have been like. Because, yes, there's nothing to do with sales. It's that pursuit. Right. Chris is a a a mathematician by trade. It's a journey. It's unfortunately, even when we talk about market dominance, which I think is the heading of the show, if I'm not mistaken, right. We talk about a lot of the challenges with sales managers, directors, and even reps is they focus on the money money's great. Hey, we have to have that we're powered by that. We have to quote, but as you had said about curiosity, it's really about the craft and market dominance is focusing on that. You are in a competition, in a chess game where there are pieces being taken off the board. And if you don't start being aware of those pieces, right, you, yeah. you're, you're going to lose. And too many of us, right, in sales focus on the dollars, not realizing that, hey, you have to set this strategy board. You need the voslav gambit, <laughs> whatever the tactic you're going to use, right? And your chess, uh, your strategy has to be in place. And you can only do that by, I think, being curious as tech.
2: I think it's... I don't know if it's harder, but it's more challenging to continuously being curious right now because so much information is coming at us all the time. Like I get emails that I ignored because I don't have time to learn about this little nuance that someone wants to get my attention over, which I'm not even in charge of. And they still send them to me, but there's a part of me that's really curious about it, but there's so much coming all the time to your chessboard analogy, you know, you might have been able to look away for a while on the chessboard because it took a while for someone to figure out where to put that special piece. Mm -hmm. And nowadays people are moving pieces constantly. It's, you got to stay up on your game. One of the things that has been really interesting, if I may, on my personal journey is so in February, I moved from the vice president of the MyPay group where I had about a hundred people and I had, not only influence, but I could really put things in motion because most people were working with me to figure things out. And I'm in a new position in operations in which I don't have that team, which is fine, but I don't really have anybody that really reports to me over the things that I do. I just have influence, right? And in a changing world that changes this fast, I mean, my two things that I'm focusing on right now is stay relevant and influence where I can. Mm. And... Staying relevant has been my bigger challenge because I was in a bubble in a way, Chris and and Corey, when I was with my pay within Thomson Reuters. It it sat kind of below the noise level of where all the change has been going on. And in the last couple of months, I've had to like, okay, what's happening? It's like, holy cow, there's a ton of things happening. And I imagine this happens for everyone in their career journeys. You've got to like keep your game going. You've got to stay relevant. And hopefully let me say this. You should really be looking forward more than anything, but if you're going to look back, just use it for wisdom. Don't live in the past. And we're making changes now that I just have to say, yep, we got to put that back there, but what did we learn from it? So we can apply. I don't have patience for people that are saying, but we used to do it this way. And we, this, this program was really powerful. I wish we had it still. It's like, gosh, guys, the world's spinning away from us if we keep holding on to things. Let's hold on to the right things. Let's hold on to the human aspects of what we do, right? Technology is just going to change so fast. Let's grab what we can. Sorry, I'm rambling probably, but I've been living through a few of those things. That's right
1: class now. number two. So that was really something. <laughs> you know, this says I've, I've had jobs similar to yours, and my job's similar, right? As a CEO, you have influence, but you have very little power. And, you know, you've delegated the power. You have to. It's like you do this, you do this. And so then the question is, what's the job? And the job is, in my opinion, to do two things. One is to be a curiosity factor that cycles fast enough that the company doesn't fall behind the possible. And it, it happens easily because everybody quite naturally is happy doing today what they did yesterday. And so the past gives us our strength because that's where right. our, our flow of business comes from is what we did yesterday. But the future holds the possibilities and it's very easy to fall behind the possible. And in a competitive world, you're at that point, you're trusting somebody else to not grasp the possible. So we have a situation like that right now at Connect and Sell where we've always run our system on human beings navigating phone calls. And we looked a couple of years ago and said, there's one part of this that we could automate if we had enough data for machine learning. And that is that final transfer that says, it's not voicemail, it's a human. And so can you train a machine to do that? Well, it's possible. And we started a number of years ago, because we have more data, I would say, Corey, wouldn't you guess than everybody else in the entire... Sales tech industry put together and in data industry. I we able,
3: a couple million phone calls a month, I think we'll do that to you. Probably yeah, many. yeah, we do. You know, <laughs> this,
1: we have, it's funny that Tom Jung, who's our data concierge, has been on. I highly recommend getting one of these, by the way. <laughs> a data concierge, uh, uh, we can talk afterwards about how to do it, but it is the most remarkable thing in the world because then you can exercise your curiosity on the data in real right. time and right. take that, huh? Could you, wait, wait a minute, let's go down there. And it's not a project for somebody for next week. It happens right now. Wow, and if cool. I do it two hours a day. So I as two hours wow. a day, I'm in the data with my data. You're like
2: data diving.
1: Yeah, we're data diving. And we're, we're figuring stuff out. Yesterday, we found a bug in in the system itself, a subtle, subtle bug that had been missed. And it, the residue was right there in the deck. Why is cool. Why is that there, right? Mm-hmm. But you find all sorts of other stuff. But anyway, going back several years ago, secretly, we started using our massive amount of data, which is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions of rows. Tom said to me, he's never seen this much data, and he's a data expert. And we said, let's train a machine to see whether faster than a human, but more accurately than a human, we can transfer a call. Well, that machine was tested in a pure way last Friday, and it actually worked better. I mean, we've been testing it like for months and months and months using it internally, (laughs) but we went, let's go pure. Let's, you know... Nothing just else.
2: Throw it out there. Throw yeah, it out
1: there. Not for our customers, mind you. We're way too nice to them, right? But we, yeah. we make 85, well, we, we have 85,000 conversations a year out of our shop. Our salespeople have 85,000 conversations wow. a year to few piece of sales. That's wow. what we do, right? So yeah. we just use ourselves as a guinea pig. But it's an example of where we got lucky, I think, because we were curious about whether this could be done, and it turned out to be possible. And it'll be transformative for our customers because it'll allow us then to apply it here, there, in another place, keep the quality of service up at this kind of like, wow, how'd you do that level, but drive cost out so we can offer more economical alternatives for different kinds of customers, right? right? That to me is the job that those of us who are in the influence business and not the command business or control business are left with is... Making you as sure as we can that we grasp the possible before a competitor exploits <laughs> that possible and drives yes. us away because the curves are so steep now. They're yes. so steep. And we can find ourselves in Fat City one moment and standing on a street corner, you know, <laughs> trying yeah. to plug down a will work for whatever the next <laughs> because those curves are so. Those value curves and and the speed of change is so high. It's Um, high
2: velocity for sure.
1: It it is. And it's a curiosity, I'll call it a curiosity cycle time. Mm. I was talking with Sean McLaren about this yesterday. And I said, you know, the the thing that drives business, I believe, is not what everybody thinks. I think it's a cycle time that's hidden, which is time to next actionable insight. And the question is, is that a month, a, a year, or can you get it down to an hour mm-hmm. where your time to next actionable insight, which can be actually action, right? Not, not maybe actual, right. but the time to actionable insight is an hour or maybe maybe a day. But if that, I think, is how we truly compete now is on one side, it's trust. And on the other side, it's the, the flow rate of actionable insights.
2: Yeah, I like that. I think that's very true. And are you working with people that are willing to take all that on? Right, Because if you're not curious enough to get to the actual insights, and I don't care how old you are, some people want to put people in a box because of their age and say, well, they won't be able to adapt to this new technology because they're used to doing things a certain way. But that's a fallacy. Either you are a curious person or you're not. You could probably learn to be curious, Right. But putting people in boxes and maybe I'm being completely selfish in this view because I'm getting to the age now where people might want to do that. And it's like, nope, don't do that to me. (laughs) That is not how I roll.
1: (laughs) I've been there for a long time. I'm used used to being in that box, (laughs) Helena. I'm used to being in that box. I've been there for a long, long, long time. But
2: you know, the advantage of that box now is that you can pleasantly surprise people. But if they put you in there without you knowing it, you can't, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, I think there's also, there's a bunch of boxes. I was talking to my son, Patrick, this morning about having you on the show. And I said, Patrick, I was raised in a family of women, right? Four older <laughs> sisters and a very strong mother. I've never believed much in guys. They just seem random to me. And, and in, a funny, in a funny way, right? You hang out with guys and you go, really? <laughs> really? That's the only thing on your mind? Come on. And I think that one of the things that is interesting among us great apes is that females maintain curiosity in the great ape business, always. So in the innovations in not any kind of primate, the innovations all come from females. And that's really? all the ones. It's, it's not the younger ones. And there's famous experiments that have been done on this. And there, there's one in a Japanese macaque experiment involving scattering rice and sand on a beach. And these macaques, you know, there's the rice, it's food. But how do you eat it if it's in the sand? Well, who figured it out? The matriarch figured out you could take a handful of rice and sand, throw it in the water, the sand sinks, and the rice floats, and she'd scoop the rice up. <laughs> And <laughs> you know, and and enjoy a meal while everybody else is going, how do I deal with this rice? Same story. Yeah. So the, the experiments have been now been done over and over and over. And I actually think we have a benefit to society, the innovation economy that we don't understand. That's coming from folks like you and my fiance Helen. And I get to see a lot of really, really I get to listen to these conversations, overhear these conversations now at Microsoft. And there's so many strong female leaders there. And what I hear is a different kind of conversation. And the main thing about, about it that's different is the problem-solving curiosity element of the conversation is just bigger. If I, I, just, I listen for how many words of different kinds do I hear and how much of the conversation is about different kinds of things. And I'm always listening for how much is about really identifying, understanding, and solving a problem for someone else. It's like my number one in the pie chart, mm-hmm. right? How much of this conversation is identified and understanding and solving a problem for someone else. It's like five X with, and I get to listen to meetings sometimes that are a hundred percent senior female leaders. Wow. And it's like a different universe.
2: I mean, that's what we have a lot more senior female leadership now at Thompson, which I love. And and I will say that I very much enjoy working with Keith, my immediate boss, and then his boss is Elizabeth and Bistrom. And it's been a real joy. I will tell you in my trajectory, that's just recent. (laughs) That is very, very recent. And people look to me now to be that leader they can look to. And I take that very seriously. And I wish we all had that before. I, I really love your insights that you just mentioned. I'm not aware of those studies. It's nice to hear that thinking differently pays off and problem solving can be done in more than one way, right?
1: right. Yeah. Well, and also the way that we, frankly, the biases that have been built into our our society as a whole, and professionally for a long time, basically guarantee you that when you find, especially in, in and anything resembling tech, right? Tech's been a very male-dominated field for a long time. And senior female leaders in tech are always good because can't, you can't get there by luck. There's no I like, know. you, can't, you can't politicize your way to those yeah. positions, right? You've yeah. got to be good. It's a, it's a filter. And I'm a big believer in filters. If you want to know what's true about something, find something on the other side of a filter where the other shit can't get through. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's as simple as that. go find it and this is like we have gotten this filter that's been there for a long time and it's very negative, which is a, a filter that's made it very hard for women to be to get into senior leadership positions, especially in sales, especially in tech. Mm-hmm. That combination is rare. But that means, hey, guess what? it's really easy to identify great leaders in sales and tech. the other side of the filter. Don't worry about it anymore. Just go and find them, right? And I think that we're coming into a new world. It's still too slow. It's still too halting, but we're coming into a new world where it will be good for everybody because the innovation economy depends on sales. Innovations don't go to market by themselves and we depend on the innovation economy. So I would say 85, 90% of all great innovations fail Not because they shouldn't have made it, but because they ran out of money before their go to market succeeded.
2: That's interesting. Probably true. I mean, at the end of the day, if you can't sell it, it's not a good idea.
1: Yeah, Yeah. even if it's a good idea. Right, (laughs) right. Right. That
2: means your story, something's failing you along the way, right? Right. Very interesting.
0: Modern and Innovative Sales Toolbox offers a guiding hand to ambitious organizations in their quest to reach market dominance. Learn more at branch49.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe.